Hello from the Financial Times in London. I'm Patricia Nielsen and this is News in Focus, where we offer our insights into the stories that matter. Two decades ago, international telecoms companies dreamed of dominating a global market. Some even came close to doing so. Nowadays, however, the vision of a global telecoms company seems to be dwindling. Here to tell us why is Nick Files, the FT's telecoms correspondent. Nick, can you take us back in time a decade or two? What position were telecom companies in then and what did they hope to achieve? Two decades ago, obviously, we were in the middle of the tech boom, but it was also the telecom boom. Telecoms companies like Vodafone, BT, AT&T, these were giant businesses whose share prices were absolutely enormous as the potential of wireless communications, which launched in the 80s but really found its mojo in the 1990s, started to really come through as a potential lucrative and global phenomenon. So companies like Vodafone, Telefonica, the big European guys, they were all spinning off the strength they had in their home markets to expand across the world where the mobile revolution hadn't happened yet. So it was it was a real opportunity for the industry to finally become a global industry before it was quite localised, often the biggest telecoms companies in each country were ex-government owned. There hadn't been a lot of consolidation. So this was the first opportunity for telcos to basically go imperial in the same way that the mining industries, the car industries have done so and achieved those levels of scale. How far did they get with fulfilling this vision? Very far. It was an incredibly active period. I mean, if we take Vodafone, in about 1997, 98, they were a very small wireless startup out in Newbury. Within two or three years, they'd spent $200 billion on two deals alone, uh, which was in the US and in Germany. But they'd also expanded into Africa, into Japan, taken stakes in China, and they'd even got as far as Fiji. This was a real land grab. And it wasn't just Vodafone. Most of the big European players and some international players were also doing this. So we had people like Hutchison coming in from Hong Kong into Europe, but mostly it was Europe out. And that's partly because of technology that was developed here called GSM, which was the 2G standard. That was a European invention. It worked incredibly well, opened up the world of mobile communications as a commercial entity and then spread into these other markets, which had been much slower to embrace it. You recently did a longer piece on this where you argued that the Swedish company Telia was an example of how this went wrong. Can you explain what you meant? Yes, of course. Telia is an interesting example. They're not a big company in the greatest scheme of things, but they're a great example of this global push. Telia merged with a Finnish company called Sonera, which was its equivalent in the neighbouring country. And Sonera had been crucial to building Turkey's main mobile phone company. And from that experience, they pushed out through Eurasia in what was kind of the second wave of this global push of the telecoms industry. And that took them all the way across into markets like Nepal. So you had this odd situation where Sweden's version of BT is building a mobile telecoms network on top of Everest. The growth opportunity was huge, but in the end, it did not pay off for them at all. Why have these companies been unsuccessful in dominating global markets? There are a number of reasons why the telecom sector didn't succeed in this global push. Part of them regulation, part of them that local markets actually proved to be very different in scale. I mean, if we take the regulatory point, someone like Vodafone um, used to say they would have in Europe alone, have to deal with something like 140 different regulators. So unlike other industries, which are possibly less regulated, that's a real headache and it really gets in the way of what you're trying to do. But also the expansion itself had an impact. Basically, companies loaded themselves up with debt through this massive buy and build global push that caused problems later down the line when they had to get that under control. 
But more so, I think, as the boom time finished in mobile, as we saw in Europe, when it was a huge cash cow, it didn't quite work out like that in many other markets, especially emerging markets, where it proved relatively easy to sign up millions of customers very quickly. But the ARPUs, the average revenue per user, which is an important metric in telecoms, just didn't pay off and justify the expense. When did 3G come in and what impact did it have on the telecoms market? 3G was an important moment for the telecom sector and the unwinding of this story, even though it was 20 years ago. And that's partly because the cost of acquiring 3G licenses in countries like Germany and the UK proved so prohibitive and so expensive that it really slowed everything down. You know, in the UK alone, I think Vodafone, BT, they were spending something like £6 billion each to launch 3G. And that would have been great if their vision of the future to justify that cost had proved correct. Instead, 3G proved to be a bit of a flop. And so while these traditional telecoms companies may have been falling short of expectations, other types of companies have been booming. Who is profiting in today's telecommunications era? Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, you have companies like Apple, obviously, who have built an extremely global company that use these telecoms networks. You also have the digital media companies, the Facebooks, the Netflixes. This is not a new phenomenon now, but when they appeared on the scene, telecoms companies were themselves still trying to do things like content, still trying to develop apps that would work across multiple markets. And they just didn't get it right. And uh, what they found instead is that a huge part of that digital revenue that they thought they might capture by building the networks has gone elsewhere. Where is the line between these companies and telecommunications companies? How have they managed to flourish? One point, if you ask the telecoms industry, is that telecoms is more utility-like. They have to spend an awful lot of money building the networks. They're regulated as if they're utilities in many cases, whereas people like Facebook, although we're seeing huge fines and a lot of talk, especially out of Europe, about regulation now, have had a pretty free run for many, many years. And I think that has been a clear demarcation line between telecoms and technology. I'd probably also add that back 20 years ago, companies like Vodafone and BT probably presumed that their brand would have a resonant connection with the consumer, that people would have some sort of empathy with that brand and want to be part of it. Instead, it's probably more Apple and Facebook and Samsung that have actually managed to achieve that. People want to buy their products. They're not really that bothered about the network as long as it works. Can you expand on the infrastructure? All of the data we transmit through our phones has to pass through some kind of pipe, cable or satellite, right? Mm, That's right. So it's fundamental infrastructure for the way we live our lives and the communication element of that. But there are different types of infrastructure. If we go back to Telia, they still operate this global carrier business. That is a global telecoms company, but it's not very profitable. And nobody really knows about it. Basically, that is just shunting Facebook pictures around the world. Facebook pay them for that, but they don't pay them very much. And the end consumer doesn't really have any sight of it. So that is the true dumb pipe that the industry is always railed against. And what about Huawei? Could they become a successful global telecoms company? Huawei is an interesting example. It's not just Huawei, it's Nokia and Ericsson as well, in that the answer is yes. The supply chain side of telecoms has been a global success story. What we're seeing now with Huawei in particular is even they are struggling to maintain the global story that they've spent so much effort building politics has come into play, the trade dispute has come into play, and there is, if you like, walls being rebuilt in the global telecoms industry with some countries saying, we don't want them. So although the opportunity was there and largely fulfilled on the supply side of the telecoms industry, even that is starting to fragment again. 
And so how do you think the future is going to look like? Do you have any predictions over the coming decade for telecommunications? The telecoms industry is now peeling back on this global push and you know, it has been doing it for some time, but we've seen Telefonica, the Spanish teleco now splitting off. These are big moves now to really repeal this and to focus on not so much local, but regions. And I think that's what we're going to see over the next few years. So again, back to Telia, they've bought a cable company in Norway, a media company in Sweden. They're starting to sort of regionalize and sort of get back to their roots, you know, a big, strong, important company in a region. And so we're going to see some of that. But what we're seeing around the fringes is uh, companies like Orange and to some extent Vodafone in Africa moving into banking, into financial services. So they're sort of trying to go a bit more horizontal and get away from the core sort of selling contracts and phones to customers. In the US, AT&T or HBO, Time Warner. So they're moving more into the content side of things from their side. So the telecoms is in a bit of a state of flux and I don't think anybody's really sure how it's going to play out. Ultimately, it's still going to be a struggle to avoid being a dumb pipe and turning into the utility that they've always dreaded they may become. Thanks, Nick, and thank you for listening. Don't forget if you missed our latest episodes on the killing of Kasim Soleimani, Carlos Ghosn's escape from Japan, and the year business went woke, you can subscribe and listen on all the usual podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this episode of FT News in Focus, rate us or leave a comment on your podcast provider. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.